your eyes and imagine the smell of rain on morning earth, fresh brewed chai, blooming peonies in a well-tended garden. Can you see it? Almost taste it? We use our senses to create home, the place where we feel joy and belonging. In life's journey, what we think of as our home evolves. We build new homes from our dreams, sacrifices, and journeys of miles and years. And for Indianapolis immigrants, home goes by many names. I'm Erica Irish, and in this podcast by the Indianapolis Public Library, we're learning what home means to Indy's immigrant community. Through their diverse lived experiences, we'll see how, rather than exchanging an old home for a new one, immigrants create a powerful new idea. That home is so much more than a place. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us again for another episode of More Than a Place. It is my pleasure to welcome Maria Manalong to the podcast today. Um, hi, Maria. How are you? Thank you. How are you? Doing wonderfully, living the dream, and I'm really excited to talk about your many interests. Um, I know we get to talk about dancing today, acting, <laughs> uh, potentially a blizzard. If you go there. <laughs> um, just from what little I know about your background, you've you've lived quite the interesting life. <laughs> Would you like to uh, introduce yourself to the listeners and explain a little bit about what you do here in Indy? Sure. So my name is Maria Manala, and I have been in Indianapolis actually for 46 years. I immigrated from the Philippines in the middle of the blizzard in 1978. I didn't realize that was a blizzard. I thought that was a normal snow snowstorm. Um, but Currently, I work for the Global Village Welcome Center, the International Marketplace Coalition. I am a program manager, and I am also um, a respiratory therapist, the director of a respiratory therapy program um, in one of the long-term care facility. Excellent. And you've been a respiratory therapist for many years. How long has it been now? Yeah, I would say more than 30 years, although I took a 15-year break from the... um, the respiratory program, and I transitioned to sleep medicine for about 10 years. And then I took a, um, a fat man, not even that, maybe a one-year um, hiatus from the healthcare field and uh, started working for a nonprofit organization, which is the International Marketplace Coalition, and uh, went back working as a respiratory therapist when COVID uh, came knocking at the door. And so um, I wanted to help. Uh, the healthcare workers. And so that was my reintroduction to the healthcare field Wow, that I tried to leave. <laughs> I'd say quite the reintroduction, I'm sure. I mean, as a civilian, as somebody who hasn't worked in healthcare, you hear all the time about the stress that's on our healthcare workers um, because of the pandemic. So definitely see why that came back into your life. Um, I. I'd love to describe, so many of our listeners are probably familiar with the Global Village, but I don't want to assume. Um, Can you pitch the idea of the Global Village, what it represents, and a little bit more about what you specifically do there? Sure. 
So the organization is the International Marketplace Coalition. We kind of oversee about two and a half square miles of the uh, northwest side of Indianapolis. In the middle of this 2.5 square mile, we um, a Global Village Welcome Center was opened with the idea that it's a place where everyone can belong. So in the two and a half square miles, if you are an American, born in America, you're international in our eyes. And so the Global Village Welcome Center is actually what we describe it as a cultural museum. So anything that you see inside the museum comes from different countries. The only thing that we would purchase basically is um, a flag to represent a country. So let's say that you came from, oh, the Philippines, because that's where I'm from. We would buy the flag to add on to the row of flags that we have, because the whole idea that we want to represent the world, the virtue that I came into this building from the Philippines, I was welcomed here. And so you will see different pieces, artwork, um, figurines, dolls from all over the world. And these items um, was donated by the community. And some, of course, are travelers that started collecting items and they no longer want it or they're trying to downsize. So this is where you will see them. Uh, they're on display. Um, and so we want everyone to know that we accept donations. 98% uh, of what you see inside the building was donated to us. Uh, and we continue to receive more items on a weekly basis to the point that we are overwhelmed, but we do have a, a big building. Um, and 1% um, are loners and another 1% came from the staff, actually. And I love I love that. It's so much visibility, diversity for all nations, as you said. Um, I also read online that you have some fun activity spaces as well or soon to be coming. I saw there's a demonstration kitchen, dance hall, <laughs> other activities you do too, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. So inside the Global Village Welcome Center, we do have event rooms that we do, we rent out as well as we host many of the events. Uh, and that's what I do. Basically, I'm the program manager here. So any programming that is happening inside the building or if there's any events happening outside the building, I usually will attend those. But if it's happening inside the building, I see through the execution and the final uh, process before it's open to the public. It's amazing. What, um, are, what are some events you're doing right now? So currently in our exhibit space, we have what we call the world of trees. Um, and those, we have a little over 30 trees that has been decorated by many cultural organizations as well as individuals to represent their culture or their business. Um, a lot of these are, of course, done for free. Um, and in association with that, uh, we had the uh, Holiday Bazaar. So we invited many of the cultural organizations um, in the community to be part of that Holiday Bazaar um, as a fundraising for them and as for us as well. Um, another thing that we do in our Welcome Gallery, presently we just opened the Lunar New Year exhibit. And the, the colors in the Welcome Gallery of course, I love red. So, you know, so the, my eyes gets attracted to red anyway. Um, so that exhibit will be up for about a month. Uh, the Welcome Gallery changes every month. 
And so for this month, it's going to be the Lunar New Year because we're planning an immersion event on January 21st. And I believe four organizations are coming together to put that immersion event. So we have China, Korea, Vietnam, and the Philippines putting the immersion. And so these are the countries that celebrate Lunar New Year. Amazing. Thank you so much for describing this. I, I'm excited. This it's You're doing so much um, to contribute to our city, but also to reflect what, all the amazing talents um, and communities that are here. I'd love to know what kind of feedback has the center received from international communities about how this opportunity is impacting them? But those that happened to stop by and was curious what was happening inside the building, as soon as they walked in, and, I, and I'm going to tell you a story of one lady that this actually happened while I was here. So she was from, I believe, Liberia. And at that time, uh, we had an exhibit um, in the Welcome Gallery uh, for Liberia. She walks in, and before she could even get in the door, what she saw from the glass window, she just stopped in her track, and she goes, oh, my God. I said, well, come on in. This is a welcoming place, so please come on in. She walks in and goes to the second door, and she stops again in her track, and she goes, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I said, what's wrong? She goes, we needed this. This feels like home. We needed this. As she, I said, well, please come on in and see the rest of the galleries. As she continued on, she was looking at the different galleries and she goes, oh my God, this is excellent. I feel like I belong here. Finally, I'm represented. So that's one of the few stories that we hear. Uh, one time, my art curator happened to be at FedEx, uh, and he met a gentleman from Haiti. And at that time, we had an um, exhibit for Haiti because the, uh, the ambassador came and visited the Global Village during their exhibit. So the gentleman was having a difficult time. He goes, well, I just need a few copies of this item. So he says, well, just come over to the Global Village and I'll print a copy for you not knowing what he was walking into. As he walked in, the curator says his eyes just got big. And so he took him to the welcome gallery with the Haitian exhibit. And my, my coworker basically said, tears were just rolling down his eyes. He goes, I've never seen anything like this before. Mm. And so I think the, the common thread, the, the common word that people use when they come into Global Village is that, Finally, I found a place where I feel like I belong. Mm. And so the whole idea of the welcoming of the Global Village Welcome Center is to create a place where people feel like they do belong. Because our goal is that we share our culture, we celebrate each other, we teach each other, and hopefully you learn, we learn from each other. And so that's really the idea. Now, a few items may or may not happen. Um, we still have a lot of work to do here in the Global Village Welcome Center. So the dance studio, I would say we have put that in the back burner. However, because we do have three space that is available, we actually have one of the uh, performing group as a resident um, performing group here. They practice here every Wednesday, and that's uh, the Okinawa Yuyukai. 
um, they were trying, they were having a difficult time and they were thinking about dissolving the group because they couldn't find a space that they could afford. So we came up with a mutual agreement that they can use our space, but we want them to continue to do the work that they do in the community. And they, so far, they found success. And so they have a great asset, asset to what we are doing here. And so I believe they are part of the Lunar New Year as well. So, so exciting and powerful, yeah. powerful testimony from the people who have visited as you, as you shared. Um, what does it feel like to work there um, and to, to see the impact on people since, you know, you yourself mm-hmm. migrated from the Philippines to the Indianapolis. What is the impact on you personally? Well, I have been in this country for 46 years. And I remember when Indianapolis was called Naptown. Um, I tried to leave Indianapolis, <laughs> believe it or not. And uh, I actually moved to Montana because at the time I was working at the VA and I could move around anywhere in the United States because I worked for, for the VA. I ended up in Montana uh, at this time. And when I came back to Indianapolis, and that was for less than a year, I actually became, I, I developed anxiety when I was seeing things happening in Indianapolis. I was, I would look at my Facebook and I'm like, oh my God, things are happening in the city. Mm-hmm. I only left oh, just about a year ago. What happened? And so to work here, to meet so many people all over the world, and that's something that I probably would not have the opportunity to do, which is, you know, I have friends from Nigeria. I have friends from Ghana. I have friends from Mexico to have that network that I call friends. For me, you know, I had traveled the world, but to actually have those people in my life on a day-to-day basis and to meet them and say, I do have friends all over the world. To me, it's been a, a, not only an inspiration, but an evolving of self-awareness, um, of self-discovery, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, just to quote uh, St. Augustine, if you haven't traveled the world, you've only read a page in a book. And I found that truly, you know, that, that's really true for me. Uh, so this place had offered me the opportunity not only to experience, uh, experience other people's culture, but also to have a conversation with them. Um, and the, the, there is really truth in saying that our difference are n- differences are not that different. You know, yeah. we may yeah. look different, but a lot of the things that we experience are really quite common. Um, and just because sometimes we're so secluded in our own world, we think, oh, we only have this problem. And having the experience of knowing many cultures now, I'm like, oh, not really. That culture is also having the same problem. They just call it different. And it just looks different, but it's the same problem. Mm-hmm. And so that's what this place has given me, the opportunity to know people as well as experience um, the different cultures. Love it. And I love your focus on the complexity of these topics, right? I feel like in popular culture, we like to simplify things quite a bit. Um, And that's exactly why we wanted to do this podcast. Um, 
you know, we tend to think of home as a specific place, but really it's a collection of experiences of all the people you meet. Um, so that's very in line with kind of where we're taking this. Um, I would love to ask you some questions about your journey um, and kind of where you, where your head is today. Um, when you think about home and what that means to you. Um, so as we've mentioned, you grew up in the Philippines. What do you remember about that time? So I have spent more time here in the U.S. I grew up here in the U.S. Uh, I came to the United States when I was 13 years old. And um, I didn't really know my culture very well. That I can say. Um, so when I was younger, um, I had a sickly sister. And so leaving the Philippines was very hard for me because I, she knew me as mom. And so, you know, this was a process that was happening for the last probably 10 years of our life. And finally, at the age of 13, mom says, well, it's time to go. Well, two of my siblings was left behind with my father and they came five years later. So, um, that's the only thing really I remember about Philippines, um, going to school, um, we were considered well-to-do at the time um, because, of course, relatives are in America. <laughs> so we were considered well-to-do. Um, you know, we lived in a cement house, but we really were not well-off. I mean, in today's standards, we're poor, uh, looking back. But, you know, we, we lived a privileged life. My grandfather uh, became a U.S. citizen, and that's how we end up in America. Um, my grandparents did not have any high school education, but their children did obtain a degree and are, they're all professionals. Uh, and so when we immigrated to the United States, it was basically impressed upon us children that education is very important. And so... That was impressed upon me when I started working at McDonald's. And I said, yeah, I can't work in a restaurant for the rest of my life. <laughs> I said, I got to get a degree somewhere. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah. So, luckily, I graduated. And uh, um, what degree I earned has taken me to many facets of life that I find very interesting. And I thought, looking back, a lot of times I talked to my brother. I says, can you imagine? I almost did not graduate college and look at where I have been today. I would never have thought that I would be a director of this, a program manager of that, that, that I would receive the recognitions that I've received. It's been an amazing journey, actually, looking back now. What does the future look like? Well, for me, uh, there's a little girl back home in the Philippines that is waiting for me. She just turned six years old. Um, she's waiting for me because I'm adopting her. Oh. And so the Philippine government requires that I spend two years in the Philippines before I can complete the adoption. And so that's where my future is heading. Future as in the next year? As, uh, maybe the next year, year and a half. half. Mm-hmm. What or are, whenever God says it's time to yeah. go, it's time to go. Now, if I win the lottery tomorrow, I'll be gone the following day. I'm not looking back. <laughs> Absolutely. <You know? laughs> so, but yes, that, that's where the future lies right now, that uh, yeah. I'm going back home to the Philippines. 
um, and take care of that little girl that was uh, gifted, mm-hmm. uh, that was gifted uh, by God and the grace mm-hmm. of God. I, wow, that is a huge new chapter for your life that's on the way. Um, what are your feelings? I don't know how often you've been back to the Philippines mm. um, in your life. Aside from the monumental choice to adopt <laughs> a child, how are you feeling? Um, you know, for a long time, I said, now that my life is starting to kind of come and I'm getting this, I, I mean, I was in a place where I wanted to be. I said, now I have to make a decision. And I don't know where to begin to make that decision that it's time to leave. When, you know, when I turned 50, I started living a life of surrender because there were so many things that was happening in my life. And I finally said, God, I don't know what to do. And so from here on out, whatever happens to me, it is your direction, it is the plan um, that you have planned forth. And so when it's time to go home, I know you're going to let me know. And so six months ago, the feeling was so strong, especially when the little girl started calling me and says, Mommy, when are you coming home? And so I said, well, look, the call is here. And so six months ago, I made a decision that said, it is time. It is time. So, you know, we just have to work it out that uh, all the bills are paid and uh, there's enough funds available that uh, if I don't work for the next two years, so we'll be okay. And so my husband was agreeable to that. And so, you know, for us right now, that little girl is the most important thing in our life. So my my I'm doing this late in life, which is prioritizing my family. But it's also a time where I can actually rest my body because I have been working since I was 15 years old, sometimes two to three jobs. And so I looked at it like, well, okay, that's an early retirement, but really it's just more of a rest for me. Um, My parents also live in the Philippines because they are taking care of that little girl. And so my mom turned, my mom and dad is turning 78. And so it was time. It was time. I am the oldest in the family. And so that right. responsibility, that duty as a, a being the eldest, I got to fulfill that, you know, so. Of taking care um, of your parents. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Place is made possible by the Indianapolis Foundation Library Fund through a grant to the Indianapolis Public Library Foundation. And earlier, just to kind of culminate all of this, because you're in- reaching this interesting full circle moment where you're about to return to where you were born. Mm-hmm. And earlier, you know, you said, you didn't feel like you grew up there. You grew up here in the United States. Um, I read in the feature article that the Global Village posted about you um, that you began to discover um, your heritage a lot through Filipino dance. Yes. When did that enter your life? And can you talk about that process of kind of discovering that heritage through art? Oh, absolutely. Um I would say that happened probably in the 
early or mid 80s. So when I was young, uh, just like most Filipinos, art is part of our life. In school, um, we have, you know, performing arts, dance, um, stage, uh, public speaking. And I was never into that or I was never accepted to be one of those public speaking person or dancing because I was always heavy. In the Filipino standard, okay, <laughs> um, they always considered me heavy. So they thought, no, we want somebody skinny. So after all of that, I said, well, okay, that's fine. I knew I have the gift of dance. I just didn't know how to put it out there in my way where I can be aggressive and say, I want to dance. I want to do this. So when I, well, I was learning the hula dance at that time. And when after many rejection, um, I was told, no, we don't want you because you're too heavy. I made a promise to myself. I said, one day, one day, I will be dancing Philippine folk dance. But I was also be teaching Philippine folk dance. Mm -hmm. And so when I, when we, when we came to the United States, um, one of the Filipino um, instructor that, that taught Philippine folk dance came to my mom and said, hey, I want your daughter to do this dance called Binastuan, which is a dance where you uh, put a uh, glass in the palm of your hands, in each palm of the hands, and on top of your head. I told my mom, I said, well, okay, I guess I can do that. And so I said, well, I'll give it a try. Well, the interesting thing was I was at college at that time and there was a dance company called the, the Moving Company. Mm. And so that's where I started basically learning the other uh, dances like the, the ballet. Uh, even though I had a small background of it, uh, we m went into the contemporary dance, ballet, jazz, um, any form of dance, basically. So for the entire time I was in college, I was invo involved with the uh, moving company. So there was another uh, teacher there who started a uh, sorceress dance company. And I was one of the original dancers. I became um, uh, a choreographer for the dance company later on in life. Uh, la later on, as I was leaving, um, as when I was about to graduate, and actually I was still dancing with them after graduation because I, I just thought I found my home, basically. And so um, when I started learning the Philippine folk dance, I said, I really like this. It kind of brought me back to my childhood and says, you know, I th maybe I need to refocus my direction. Um, I love ballet. I love other form of dancing. However, I just didn't feel like it was for me. I just didn't feel like my technical skill was up to bar to be part of a, a dance company that is well known in the city. So I started looking at YouTube, searching, buying books. And every time I go home to the Philippines, buy all the music on Philippine folk dances, whatever I can get my hands on. And so I pretty much have a collection of it at home, of all the music and all the the um, dance book. And so I started reading it, you know, searching through. And so I started to see the beauty of my culture. Now, ideally, because I didn't really know my culture, I thought, you know, wholesome family, nuclear family, mama, dad. And then as I 
got to know more Filipinos. They were like, uh, Maria, no, we got our own problems. I'm like, really? Because <laughs> they were telling me stories. I'm like, really? Oh, okay. But the, the beauty of the Philippine culture, especially the music and dance, and learning not besides the, the Spanish influence, also learning the tribal dances. Mm. That's when I really saw the richness of the culture. And so most of the time, I don't stick with the Philippine influence dances. I go into the tribal. So people, uh. so my goal when I started my dance company was to share the Philippine culture, not only, not only of the Spanish influence, but of the other tribal um, community in the Philippines. And so what are some, what, if I may ask, sure. what are some of the differences in the techniques from oh the Spanish gosh. influence? And the, I'm sure there are many, but just to briefly explain some of it to listeners, what, what attracted you more to the, the tribal side? The tribal. Yeah. Um, sure. Some of the tribal dances basically takes on nature, uh, the land. Um, there's stories behind them. So um, uh, one of the dances that I really fell in love with, and I actually danced it, is the dance called Sinkil. It is from Southern Philippines. Um, it is a, a Maranao dance, and it talks about the prince and the princess. Um, and it uses fans as part of the props, and the princess dances uh, between four bamboos are crisscrossed. And so um, somebody holds an umbrella as she danced through the bamboos. Um, and later on, the prince joins her. And so both of them will dance in and out of the bamboo. Um, that's more of a Muslim-influenced dance. Um, the costume itself is different. You know, feathers, uh, tribal archery. So it just really depends. There's just so many tribes in the Philippines nowadays that there's still so much more I have to do research on. Absolutely. And from that collection you described amassing to teach yourself about this, do you have a favorite resource that taught you that you remember as significant? Like a favorite dance group that inspired you or a book? Oh, absolutely. Um, the number one Philippine dance company in the Philippines is Bayanihan. Bayanihan means working together. Um, Bayanihan Dance Company probably has inspired me to learn about the Philippine culture um, and the different dances um, because they covered all dances that that are that's basically perform in the Philippines and they do a lot of the research. Um, and so I, I have a collection of videos. I have a collection of their books as well. And so, you know, they are going to be part of the exhibit that I'm planning uh, on June 10th here at the Global Village Welcome Center because they have so much influence in my, my, um, my passion for dance. Yeah. They kind of sound like the authorities, like they, they know what's happening. <laughs> oh, well, pretty much. Yes, yes, yes. 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 That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Where do you consider your home today? And what makes it so? Why do you see it as your home? Well, home for me today is Indianapolis. 
Uh, this is where I spent most of my growing years. Um, this is where I've had a house for many years. It is where, where my husband is at. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, Indianapolis is home. I missed Indianapolis actually when I left Indianapolis. And so when I came back, uh, after leaving Indianapolis for a little over a year or less than a year, actually, I told my husband, this is home base. We'll travel the world, but we'll always come back home to Indianapolis. And Indianapolis, you know, it, it's a large city. Where where in the city do you live? What's your neighborhood? Oh, so we are actually on the southeast side, uh, right across yeah. Beach Grove. Um, and I end up on that side of town because my brother built his home. And he says, well, you're living in an apartment. Why don't you come and live with us? I said, well, okay. <laughs> So when he decided he no longer wanted his house, he goes, it's yours. I said, well, okay. And so I got stuck with a house in, in southeast of Indianapolis. And, uh, I, you know, I really like that area anyway because it still has that small hometown feeling. Absolutely. Especially going toward Greenwood. And so, yes. yeah. It's almost rural, but still close to everything. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. So, okay. So Indianapolis is home for you um, after all these years, after mm. living on the Southeast side. What does the word home represent to you? Um, what feelings, ideas, like if you had to describe what home means to somebody else, what would you say? Uh, for me, home is where I can be myself. Um, where I feel safe, where I belong. It's where my family is at. Um, the feeling of I'm free to do whatever I want in this space, um, where my items, my belongings are, that's home. Um, so yeah, um, that's basically how home feels to me. Now, if you ask me, so you're going home to the Philippines. Yes, that's also home because it's the it's my birthplace. And so that will always be home. But the feelings are different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when I do end up going home to the Philippines, that home may not be as complete as home here because my husband will be staying here while I go take care of the six-year-old. So... That would be an interesting question to ask me after two years living in the Philippines. For what sure. is home? You know, because uh, that's two different dynamics basically going on. Uh, for me, the home is right now because I am with my husband in this home. This is home. This is where I belong. That's my family. What kind of food or drink feels like home to you? Oh... Gosh, uh, one food that always reminds me of home is actually a dessert. It's called halo halo. In translation, it's called mix mix. Yes. Uh, have you had halo halo? I have. Okay. So even when I go back home to the Philippines, forget about the rest of the food. <laughs> Give me halo halo. So, uh, so my, my mom always already know. Yeah, I know what you want. So you don't even have to say anything. Uh, but so hello, hello. And, uh, you know, uh, Chicago is the, cl- I can find, uh, 
good halo halo. So, so, you know, there are other restaurants in the area that serve Filipino food, um, but they just don't make the right halo halo for me. Mm. You know, they, they don't have the texture, the, the mix of ingredients. It just doesn't taste the same. Well, what's the perfect halo halo? Perfect. Yeah. What are the um, perfect textures, flavors? So a lot of ice, first of all, uh, having the ubi ice cream, yes. Uh, having the lechi flan uh, in it, um, coconut, um, candied banana, um, the little pearls that they call it, I, I, they call it sagu. I don't know how to translate that in English. Um, there are so many different versions, but just those basic ingredients is enough for me. Uh, but ice is really important, you know, and of course, uh, the right amount of, um, milk mm. and, uh, a little sugar. Um, but if it's, you know, I, I tasted one halo halo here, um, in one of the Filipino, so-called Filipino restaurant. And when they brought it out to me, I said, well, where's the ice? Mm, I right. say that doesn't make it halo halo if there's only like one eighth of an ice in front of all these toppings. Absolutely, it's a big ingredient. To exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that that's the number one food for me: lechon, yeah. the roasted pig, of course. Um, that I remember a lot from childhood um, because I'm not a very good cook, um, and there's not really a lot of restaurants, Filipino restaurant in the area that serve the food that I prefer because um, to me it's not really authentic um, but I do know many Filipino cooks and so if I crave something I just call them I oh, say hey personal hey. chef yay yeah. you know, I got, I'm lucky I know a lot of the uh, yeah. a lot of friends that are Filipino that cook I says hey you know I'm craving this and so right. and, and um, the amazing thing is a lot of this food I actually never tasted until there was a Filipino restaurant that opened um, in the south side of Indy, but they closed about seven years ago. Uh, they both got older and had grandchildren. And they said, yeah, we just we just can't remain open. And so a lot of the food I was introduced to. And so when we started going to Chicago and uh, we tried a different Filipino restaurant, I really tasted food. So every time I go home now, I we just automatically go to the mall because they have many food stalls that has food from all parts of the Philippines that you can taste mm. in the mall. And so, and it's cheap. Yeah. <laughs> it's cheap. And so, you know, so, so those food from childhood that I used to hate, I crave them now. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you. To go back to Halo Halo, Sakura. Yeah. Sakura, I know. I just want to eat some now. It sounds so refreshing. Um, although I probably haven't had good Halo Halo is what it sounds like. So I'll have to ask you where to get some. Well, um, if you happen to go to Chicago and you go to Jollibee's. Jollibee's. Yes. Okay. Jollibee is a That's Filipino one. restaurant like a McDonald's. Oh, so fast food. Fast food. Okay. They serve Halo uh, Halo, which is close to what I like. I mean, my favorite Halo Halo is from Chow King. Uh, it's one of the uh, franchise uh, restaurants in the Philippines. So that to me, they have the best Halo Halo. So what the Jollibee makes Halo Halo close to the 
flavor of chopping. That's awesome. Thank you. I was going to ask you to um, maybe explain, like explain it the best you can, um, what what it tastes like to people who haven't had it before. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I probably had like the over sugar, sugary version here. Yes, but it's probably not as sugary as what it sounds like. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, when I, was, when I was younger, I loved sweets. So, but as I grew older and diabetes is starting to hit, uh, less sugar is better. But it's just a mixture of different flavor that is, uh, if you think of Frappuccino. Yeah. It's like that, except that you're tasting ube, you're tasting coconut, you're tasting the candied uh, banana all at the same time. So it's almost like a frappuccino with milk and sugar to it. It's really hard to explain it until you actually tasted it and you go, okay. And I've, I've seen other Asian countries try to imitate or come up with their own version but I really haven't tasted the one that is the Filipino version. Right. The un- same unique combination of flavors. Yeah. It really is. It really yeah, is. Absolutely. Oof. I'm excited. Yeah, we all need to go to Chicago and just I have know, some halo, right? Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> we need to meet out there. Sakura, the, the you know. Party. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just a trip to Chicago just for that. Yes. It sounds worth it. Um. Do you have anything else you would like to add about your journey, Maria? Or any last words you'd like to share? You know, um, it's been an incredible journey. I've come to the point in my life that I'm starting to look back and see the, the experiences, the work, the people I've met. And I look forward to what the future is out there. Um, gosh, the next chapter. Uh, of my life uh, because certainly it's going to take me to a different path Um, but even after that when when it's time to come back to the U.S. what that would look like so I'm excited to see where the next five years ten years will look like you know and see what changes is happening in Indianapolis Hi again, everyone. It's Erica, and you're listening to More Than a Place, a podcast by the Indianapolis Public Library, produced in partnership with Kendall Antron of the Made an Indie podcast. We couldn't tell the unforgettable stories of our community without your support. Thank you for spending your valuable time with us. To learn more about indie immigrant leaders like Maria, visit ndpl.org slash more than a place. Thanks for supporting.